Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You know what I want? <laughs> Not Samsung, Greg. Not Samsung. Not what? Not Samsung. everybody, welcome to another episode of Outside Looking In, the podcast series where I, Samson Folk, talk to somebody else from another market about their team, and they talk about the Raptors. In doing so, you get to learn kind of the consensus on the Raptors, 29 people's opinions on them, your team, and then on the other side of things, you get to learn about every team in the NBA. It's a big podcast series, and here to talk about, with me, the Pistons. Jack Kelly, the handsomest man in basketball writing. How you doing, Jack? <laughs> Thank you for that intro, man. I'm I'm a good man. I um always love an opportunity where I get to jump on and talk hoops with you and just hang out with you in general, man. So yeah, excited hey, to be on. My brother, I'm sure we'll be end up doing a couple of these when there's like Raptors Pistons games, provided that it's not too crazy on your side of the world. For for the listener, um Digital media for the NBL, by the way, Jack. His the other part of his job, and the other is he writes for um, Detroit Bad Boys, SB Nation, etc. So, the Pistons. Uh, I'm going to kick them to the side just for a little bit, since Raptors people are tuning in. They want the Raptors centric stuff first. I got to know what are your stray thoughts on the Raptors when when you think about this team. What's the first thing that comes to mind? What's the direction? And I don't, I don't say that in a bad way or a way that's like this team, like, because when you look at the roster, I'm just like, what is the direction here? Like, because I, there's part of me that thinks surrounding, like continuing to surround Scotty and keeping guys like Yaka, bringing Dennis Schroeder, bringing vets. Like, I don't think that's a bad thing after watching a team like the Pistons who have just ran out young guys, like had lineups full of first, second, third year guys, like. I've seen how that can play out. And that, I don't think that's necessarily the best thing for development all the time. So but it's just like, what is the direction here? And a lot of it comes down to right now, sort of when I look at the roster, you have Scotty Barnes, who I, I'm still pretty high on. Um, I think any young player is prone to a step back in their second season or even their third season. Like, um, And some other players start off slow, like Kay did, but I'm still got a lot of stock in Scotty. I think... There's a really talented player there, clearly. And then there's Grady Dick, who was last season's lottery pick. Um, but outside of that, it's just a lot of... And there's Christian Coloco, who I also really like as well as a shot blocker and rim protector. But yeah, just sort of like, what's the direction here? Like, it feels like a Pascal Siakam trade might be coming. And then does it lead to sort of more of a rebuilding phase? Or yeah, it's just, I'm a little bit confused. But um, yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if other Raptors fans feel that way um, and what their expectations are for the season, but I still have a lot of faith in Masai Ujiri as a GM. And I think, forgive me, I can't remember your coach's name, but from what I read from oh, sort of Raptors okay. Republic and some of the content coming out, like he seems like an exciting guy to sort of 
you know, he's a creative offensive coach. Like he can mix in some really exciting stuff. So there's optimism, but also a bit of confusion from at least from the outside looking in. Sure. So there's a couple of things. I agree with you in that I don't typically subscribe to the the Philadelphia 76ers process laid in full tear down. It's just only young players on the roster. I think it's very important to have a mix. Um, maybe the Raptors skewed too heavy towards older players for a bit. Maybe maybe in the future they might skew a little bit too far towards younger players. But the having a guy like Schroeder on the team who just, you know, prior or after the signing wins the World Cup MVP, which is great. I'm excited to see what kind of year he has. I don't think the MVP has any bearing on what kind of NBA season he'll have. That's a completely separate achievement and, and good for him. Jakob Pertl, they re-sign. But the big thing and the one that, you know, I spent a long time talking and thinking about and writing about is that fact that there's not a lot of shooting in their, you know, you list their best players and there's some skill sets that seem to kind of infringe upon one another and not a lot of them complement each other that well because they don't get to play in space. And so you build this team and it looks like, as you say, the direction they tried to find it by trading Pascal for a host of assets slash players that would have better complemented Scotty, Jakob, OG, Gary, Grady, you know, the incoming players over the next couple of years with a bit more balance of ball handling, shooting, and some of that, you know, rough and tumble bully wing style that Scotty plays with with his great playmaking verve, of course. But when they try to trade Pascal and nothing materializes and their stance during free agency is to kind of, we're not going to shake things up that much. We're going to bring in Dennis on the MLE. We're going to retain um, Pirtle. And they tried to re-sign Fred and Fred wouldn't re-sign. So it seems like they've been in a reactive kind of mood. It's not, it's not so much proactive decision-making. They tried some things at the deadline. They tried some things at free agency, and not a lot of it has gone their way. If they trade Pascal, maybe they can promise OG more possessions, and then that means that they get to get OG on an extension. But if they don't, then it seems like they're coming into a season where they won't have a dominant team, where Pascal, OG and Gary are all expiring contracts. And of course, having expiring contracts isn't good for the team dynamic necessarily, but it's also not good if you want to trade these guys for value to keep rebuilding. And all of that is a huge info dump for you, but I'm, I'm curious, does that help, I don't know, illuminate any of your stances? No, for sure. And like, it's... Like I didn't like the Jakob, like re-signing Jakob Berta, like I haven't heard your thoughts on it and like, but I actually didn't have that much of an issue with it because I feel like mm-hmm. this off season, there really wasn't a lot out there. And I think like, I know from a, just speaking from a Pistons point of view, a lot of fans were sort of upset that Detroit didn't make a splash move and that sort of thing. But it's like, there just wasn't much out there to sort of make a move and you bring you never want to lose the asset. So like you just lay out those issues you have with those three veterans and then an all-star and Pascal. Like them being expiring is like hinders their value like tremendously and takes and like makes it difficult to move them for and get equal value return or close to. 
um, equal value returns. So you bring back Jakob and I feel like he still is a very like defensively and on offense, he can make passing reads. Like he's a guy that will help like mm-hmm. fix, like plug holes and play with the younger guys. So, um, but yeah, like everything you laid out makes sense to me. I think I just feel like still slightly confused. <laughs> like, well, like it's, yeah, you don't want to let guys go obviously. And they didn't, Keeping Jakob, Jakob is at least in the top half of starting centers in the NBA, at the very least. He's good. $20 million a year is not breaking the bank for anybody. It's a comfortable contract for both sides. And you could definitely convince yourself that Pirtle is a great center for Scotty to play with over the next four seasons. And the tough thing is just that the Raptors are running a deficit of shooting at the five. Pirtle doesn't shoot at all. And not a ton of five shoot, but Pearl doesn't shoot at all. Pascal shoots okay for a four. But if you slide Pascal to the three, then he's no longer a plus shooter. And Scotty Barnes at the three is definitely not a plus shooter. If it's Dennis at the one, provided he plays the one, not a plus shooter. If it's Gary, then you're a plus shooter. OG is a plus shooter wherever you put him. But like, it's just not a ton of shooting. And so Jakob and Scotty is fine. But it's the collection of Jakob, Scotty, and Pascal. If you remove, you know, Scotty and it's Jakob, Pascal, and OG, then the shooting's fine. If it's Jakob, OG, and Scotty, then the shooting's fine. It's just the collection that makes it really tough. And so it seems like more of a um, clunky team building that not everything is flowing perfectly. And it's been difficult for the Raptors to kind of, and Masai Ujiri to hit on everything over the past couple of years, especially from you know, the personality, intangible side of things, you're not getting guys who want to sign those extensions. Or on the other side of things, they're not offering Pascal the max extension either, right? And so it's tough, man. It's it's very tough. Well, we'll, we'll, yeah, go ahead. I've just got a quick question for you because something that's been going on in Piston Circles is like, where's your faith in the front office and specifically Troy Weaver and the management team at the moment? Um, I'm just like... Where's your faith level in Masai and sort of the Raptors front office? Because I think as someone from the outside looking in, like I've admired a lot of the moves he's made, even going back to those those Raptors teams with um, Larry and DeRozan, like mm-hmm. that was really good team building. And I know people will clown the Raptors still for the LeBron stuff, but I think that's just, that's just, that's clickbait in my opinion. Like that, no, like LeBron was LeBron, whatever, but like, like, Messiah's made moves. He obviously made the Kawhi Leonard move. He made the Marcus Sol trade at the deadline for um, JB. Um, and then even like I admired that team in the COVID season that when they went to the bubble, like they took it right up to the Celtics to seven games. And then I just think he's made a lot of great moves. And then this feels like the first time where there's a bit of like limbo. And yeah, so that's my long way of asking, where are you at with the Raptors front office? So I'll never be too upset about it because as you mentioned, like those DeRozan and Lowry teams, the base of them that eventually ended up winning a championship, obviously DeMar being swapped out for, you know, DeMar and Pirtle being traded and what ended up being Kelton Johnson, I guess the draft pick for Danny Green and Kawhi. But there were tons of his seven, eight year run as an executive, basically all hits, no misses. And the type of surplus on the hits, like Grievous Vasquez going for OG Ananobi and Norman Powell is just an insane trade. Andrea Bargnani, <laughs> yeah. you know, a year and a half before he's out of the league, getting traded for what becomes the ninth overall pick. Insane value. Um, 
when he makes a trade, they win it. The mid-level exception signings work out. The biannual exception signings work out. Bismack Biombo may, may be the most popular. So everything works. And I looked over, I did a video, I think in the end of December of last year, looking over every transaction, signing, draft pick since the championship. And there isn't, there's more failures than there is okay signings. And you can't, like you have to have big wins. You have to have big surplus. When you sign a guy on an MLE, you want that guy to be, you know, not just like, okay. It's it's fine if he's okay, but you need him to be more than okay. If you have a draft pick, you don't want to lose draft picks to like, okay, this guy never panned out like Malachi Flynn, for example, or David Johnson or Delano Banton, you know, none of which have provided anything materially, you know, or anything tangible to the Raptors really. Delano Banton, maybe most of all, but that's more of a cultural thing because he's from Toronto, Rexdale, where I am right now. And he's now a Celtic. And it's just there's been no wins post-championship except for like the Rondé Hollis-Jefferson signing, which was a really nice signing for a year, and then the Scotty Barnes draft. And then I think Grady Dick was a really good pick. It's tough to make good moves, though. And I think that the gap that there was where, you know, less teams were super, super focused on like, we need a really forward-thinking GM. We need really forward-thinking, you know, bas- president of basketball operations. We need to, you know, invest into the development side of things. The Raptors were there before a lot of teams in that era, but I don't think the gap is there anymore necessarily. And so we're just seeing Masai Jiri, Bobby Webster, those guys try and make competitive moves in a more competitive, I guess, executive environment. So. I wouldn't, I know some people, there's definitely, as you asked, like, how, how does the fan base feel? There's some bubbling up. There's people who are pretty upset with the front office at this point in time. But um, I think they deserve probably another year or two before the worm turns all the way around. That's my long-winded answer to your longer question, I suppose. How does that sound? No, no, I, uh, that all makes a lot of sense to me. And I guess like, just personally for you as someone who's as plugged into covering the Raptors as you are and sort of everything you know, like if you had it your way, like how do you see, what direction would you like the franchise to go in this season and next season? You laid out those expiring contracts. Um, just what general direction would you like to see this team go in? Considering the, the lack of shooting, I don't think, and Darko Ryakovic, I think, is really going to help them instill some some staples of the offense, some really strong places to work out of. But I still think, like the last two seasons, they were a bottom five half-court offense. I still think that's going to be the case. Having Scotty, Pascal, and Jakob, I don't think is tenable for an offensive environment over the next you know, Jakob's there for four years. If you If you brought Pascal back, it's four more years. Scotty... You know, he's going to sign the rookie scale extension, presumably, unless things go away. He, I, I just don't think Scotty will be like one of those three, you do the one expiring and then you don't resign. I don't think that's the case. It's like four more years of just guaranteeing really tough offense. They've put themselves the way they built the team in a position where I think you have to try and trade Pascal. And Pascal is one of my favorite players I've ever watched. I loved covering him. I think he's a great guy to cover as well. He's thoughtful, he's kind, um, and he's, you know, a brilliant player. But 
I think that makes the most sense as a way for the Raptors to go. Now, of course, I'm just a schlub. I don't, you know, I think I know a decent amount about basketball, but I don't work in basketball and make decisions that matter. Maybe this team finds something, a really unique style of play with that front court, with the guys in the back court, and with their glut of wings, talented wings they are, um, that they make all of this seem silly on my end. But I think it probably makes the most sense to move on from Pascal. As disappointing as that is to say out loud, I think that's where I, that's my final stance, I suppose. How about you from yeah. the outside? Is that, no, is that no, kind of I, yours? I, yeah, definitely. Because as you've outlined, like that, like Scotty Barnes, like you, for this next phase to sort of the next five years or if, or next three to five years to sort of trend in an upward trajectory, sorry, I feel like you need Scotty Barnes to get to a level where he's at least like a top three kind of guy on a playoff team, if that makes sense, like at least. Like you're putting a lot of stock in him and if Pascal, as good of a player as he is, if bringing him back doesn't necessarily, if that sort of hinders that potential development, then... Like, I see why moving him on makes sense, particularly because I believe Pascal, is he turning 30 as well? Like, he's still got plenty of mm-hmm. basketball left into him. But um, sometimes I hate to go back to the timeline thing all the time where you want to try and bring all these 22-year-olds up at the same time because I think that's also not necessarily conducive to winning. But, like, I think it just it just sort of makes sense. It, it would it make be different if, if Pascal were, like, a, a torrid shooting guard or or, like... You, you wouldn't worry about Carl Anthony Towns and Scotty Barnes, for example. You know, like yeah. it's a bit more sim- symbiotic, or especially if Jakob isn't part of it, right? Like if it was Carl Anthony Towns at the five, then Pascal and Scotty is totally fine because you're getting surplus spacing from a spot yeah. on the floor that you wouldn't otherwise. But as currently constructed, they really need to hammer down and win transitional lineups where they can start plugging in more you know, shooting around these guys. And yeah, it, it, the, for people who th- believe in Scotty's stardom through and through, then you need to facilitate that stardom with more friendly context for him to succeed. And for a guy who is a little bit more limited from a handle point of view, is very limited from a shooting point of view, and isn't like a bursty quick twitch guy, like we'll talk about Jaden Ivey right away, um, he needs space to kind of bully around and make reads. And um, some of that will come in the open floor this season with Pascal, with Jakob. But I think into the future, there just needs to be more space in the half court. I guess we'll see. We'll table that there. The Pistons are one of the most exciting teams coming into the season. I think I was so disappointed when Cade got injured last year. Their backcourt of Ivy and Cade, I think, is brilliant. Their front court situation has brilliance in it i'm sure but is also very confusing i think for most people (laughs) yes um i want to start with the front court in detroit james wiseman you take the flyer on him isaiah stewart whether he's a four whether he's a five he signs that extension he's a lot more talented offensively than i think a lot of people from the outside think um like, let's be honest, not a ton of people pay attention to Pistons basketball, not a ton of people paid attention to the Raptors last season. But Isaiah Stewart is a lot more talented as a, you know, put the ball down shooter kind of guy in the front court than most people think. You also have Marvin Bagley, who another guy they took a flyer on, and Jalen Duran. 
I'm just like, yeah. do you rank those guys? How do you sort that? Four massive bodies in the front court who all want to be, you know, big time stars. So confusing is the perfect word to describe sort of the jumble at the center position or the front court position. So like when I'm looking at these guys, like there's no question about it amongst Pistons fans. And I think like Jalen Durant, he's the center of the future. He's the starting center. Like he would have to play, he would have to look so out of sorts to like lose that starting five position. Um, So he's far and away the starting five. Isaiah Stewart, when you look at the contract he signed, I believe it's four years, 62 million, or it can get up to four years, 62 million with bonuses. That's an investment to me that screams they want to see him at the four and they believe there's a chance he can be the starting four for this team. And the jury's still out on whether or not he can be that. I'm like, I love Beast Stew, so like I'm a little bit biased. Like he's my favorite player, but like, so I'm always going to be more optimistic with him, but he's shown like last season, he showed lots of flashes, like the three point shot um, to start the season. He was shooting around 37, 38%. That dipped off. I think he finished season around 33%. He had a shoulder injury in January, which sort of played into it, but he also showed some flashes off the bounce. Um, he'll show some passing here and there, but overall he really needs to put together, first of all, a healthy season. Last season he was out a lot with the injury. Um, and just sort of put it all together for him to have a chance being that starting four. He needs to like, he needs the three point shot, but he needs to be able to have defenses actually respect him when he puts the ball down on the floor. And like, I'm not saying he's ever going to be a self creator because I don't think he's ever going to get to there with the handle and that sort of thing. But if you're starting him and Jalen Duran, he needs to be able to show he can do something, whether it's just attacking off closeouts and making a passing read um, or finishing. Um, he still has to put it all together. If you're a stew believer like I am, you've seen the flashes and you believe he can put it together because of his work ethic and attitude. But, yeah, this is a very big season for him to show that, A, to reward the investment from the franchise and, B, to sort of just show he can be that starting four potentially. Um, and then we get to Marvin Bagley and James Wiseman. I don't – Big lefties. Big lefties. Could, yeah. You could tell me they don't play a minute in the first 10 games and you could tell me they're somehow both playing 10 minutes. I I am not a subscriber to the two big lineups. Jalen Duran and James Wiseman, that's just I don't I don't believe in that. I don't believe in that. I don't think we'll see that in the regular season, but um yeah, I'm not the biggest two big lineup kind of guy. I don't mind Isaiah Stewart at the four, but Bagley at the four, I still it's lack of shooting. And then on the defensive end, his struggles there make it really hard to put him alongside another centre. Um, those two there, it, it's hard because they have that pedigree being their second overall picks, but they're now both, I think Bagley's entering year five and Wiseman year four. So that pedigree and that sort of aura, I don't, I don't know if that's the right word, but <laughs> I don't think it's the right word. But yeah, to me, I don't think, if I had it my way and I was a coach, they wouldn't feature in the rotation come opening night. I just think. How does that make you feel? As like the, you talked about Troy Weaver team building that so, so many minutes have gone recently to James Wiseman and to Marvin Bagley. And those guys is from your point of view, is it just like the ideal situation then is they just kind of like, they run out those contracts on the, on the Pistons and then 
you know, say la vie? So I was Wiseman. I, I don't have too much of an issue with Sadiq Bay. I don't think aligned with where, how this front office and I guess the coaching staff at the time wanted to play. Um, he's a real like catch survey, mm-hmm. bit of a ball stopper. Like he had some really great moments, but he's a ball stopper and his three point shot was too inconsistent. So I was fine with moving him off instead of re-signing him for a contract you regret potentially. Um, so I didn't mind the Wiseman trade. I was, you know, following the all-star break where Wiseman was starting and everything like that. I, I didn't bother me too much because ultimately like covering the team and Pistons fans, like everyone was gunning for Wemby. We lost games. We got to see if, what Wiseman, who he truly is. Um, so that one didn't bother me too much. The Bagley one, I was very high on Bagley after his first season in Detroit, which was Cade's rookie season, or he, he got traded. Um, that contract, I don't think it matters in the scheme of things, but when you look back on it, I think it was three years, 36 million, something around there. It's a bit questionable, um, but ultimately I don't think it hurts the team too much. You still, I, I think there's a trade coming for the Pistons, um, whether that's packaging some of these young guys to bring in a veteran in a year or two time to really make a leap or um, you, you need that salary. So 12 to 30 million on your books helps facilitate a trade. So not, I wouldn't say I'm mad at it, but the Bagley one was a little bit questionable looking back at it for sure. And even just from my point of view, I'm glad when guys like that get a look or a second shot to, you know, because Weissman obviously – he struggled at many things and did so in Golden State. And there's, especially on Twitter, there's um, a contingent of like James Wiseman, like they, they really go hard for him. And I think that also there's some collinearity between like people who love classically large bigs, of course. But guys like that, they should get a second shot somewhere. Same with Marvin Bagley as well. And um, maybe one of them hits. Like that's obviously the Pistons' approach is like these guys. You talked about the, the second overall pick pedigree. You know, probably neither of them should have been picked second overall, of course. But you have to wonder, like, hey, what happens? Um, we'll kind of skip over Bogdanovich, who stirs the drink on the wing. He's a great player. Um, I, he's been fantastic for a very long time. But Jaden Ivey, Cade Cunningham, I just walk me through it because I think that's one of the coolest backcourts. Um, for the next five years, probably. For sure. I like, I think those two complement each other, at least on the offensive end. Like, mm-hmm. in my opinion, it is a, I'm not going to say perfect, but close to perfect sort of combination of like, you have Cade, who's more that mercurial pick and roll, um, use a lot of ball screens, he's going to sort of pick apart the defense um, and then attack. Whereas, Jaden's just all out explosiveness. Um, mm-hmm. His first step, like I think, is arguably top five in the league. He can just get by anyone with that first step. Um, and then the shooting flashes he showed to close the season, I think his mid-range pull-up got to around league average, which considering coming out of Purdue, that was like his in-between game was the area of most concern, at least offensively. And then the catch-and-shoot threes, at least unguarded, were out of really good a decent clip. I think they were close to 40%, which once again, just to see that three-point shot sort of translate from Purdue when it sort of was a bit up and down, that's really encouraging. Um, we also got to see Jaden at the point guard position with Kate out, which 
I think those on-ball reps help because his handle and sort of navigating his way through defense in a more controlled way, that's something he still needs to work on, but he got to work on those reps, working ball screen actions that he might not have gotten alongside Cade. Long-term, I think Jaden is just, he's a two. He's a combo guard, but he's a score-first guard. And I think him playing alongside Cade, those two just mesh really well offensively. And it's it's really it's really exciting. Like for me, the backcourt, those are your two best players when this team starts to win. Um, and I think there's such a dynamic duo in the way they can sort of pick apart defenses and Cade's going to be in pick and roll. He's going to have the ball a lot, but I think there's so much potential for Jaden as an off-ball scorer. Um, when they, the few games they did play together, Jaden's activity off-ball as a cutter or just getting set up with pin downs on the, on the weak side and just getting him attacking downhill, like that's very exciting and like, we sort of didn't get to see a lot of that, but even at Purdue, like they ran an offense where he came off a lot of screens off ball just to set him up because, as I said, his handle is still an area of improvement. But if you can set him up in a way to get him downhill, that's when he's his most dangerous. Um, and he made lots of improvements as a passer, um, even just like drive and kick. Like I feel like a lot of fans and like I know I do, like you can take that stuff for granted just making the simple read on like a drive because he's able to draw the help so easily with that first step. So to see him just improve even in that facet of, I guess, his playmaking was also really encouraging. Um, so, I think they'll they'll both complement each other a lot, especially if, if it's Cade. He's such a good table setter, you know, has a really great um, idea of how the, the pace of the game needs to go and how to, like, slowly, using the ball screens, shift the defense so that, you know, the weak side is a lot weaker. And if, if people don't know what I mean by that is like, you can shift more than the first two guys who are in the action. Like you can make the whole defense take a couple of steps over. You can make a guy go from the right side of the key to the left side of the key. And especially, you know, Jaden Ivey, a guy who will be attacking off of that. When Cade is constantly like shifting defenses and moving guys over, a quick ball reversal means that it's a world of difference where Jaden using that first step a lot of finishes at the rim will no longer be like these heavy contests with these big sweeping help side defenders. It'll be sometimes those guys just won't be able to get over to the spot. And then even if they do get over the spot, they're coming from a longer distance away and they're more prime to to foul and put Jaden at the line. And then especially for Jaden, like if he punches a gap, gets in, makes that, you know, that kick out that read then it goes to Cade or winds up like there's a side top side pass or something like that. He can make a lot of those great short side playmaking reads to a big when the defense is in scramble mode. He can like kind of crab dribble into the middle of the lane and do a bunch of like fantastic stuff. And they'll have a bunch of really unique looks they can run with those guys, the the tandem ball handling. And it both like it just gets better and better if both those guys shoot the way that I think Detroit is hoping that they eventually shoot. And Cade, obviously, most notably, because the jumper, the pull-up jumper, was what made him the no-brainer first overall pick. And when that's not there, it's kind of like, okay, this guy is more so like a top half of the lottery pick because he's just so heady and he's got the size and he he makes great plays. But if that pull-up jumper comes around, then he's just going to be one of the best game managers who can also, you know, step back and hit a dagger on you and... That that backcourt for me, just I'm so excited. I was really upset that last season it didn't really 
turn out with Cade's injury, of course. But you guys have something really cool to look forward to. Um, Asar Thompson, how do you figure he figures into things? I'm curious. Because he, at Summer League, he was one of the best watches there, for sure. He was. And, like, admittedly, like, I was quite – I wasn't low on him as a prospect. I was sort of not all in on taking him at pick five, just from, like, the draft stuff I sort of did. Um, But I will say, like, he factored in as just, like – a lot of people have said his ceilings like that Andre Godala type. And that comes from the fact he's just like that connecting piece. He's dynamic in transition. He can grab and go. Like, I'm not sure how many Pistons games you're able to catch at Summer League, but just to me, like his rebounding stood out tremendously. Like he, I think he averaged 10 a game and he just had some monster rebounds where he's just able to rise up just one because his athleticism mm-hmm. and then, He's still got a lot of strength to add to his frame, but he's just like, he's a big dude. He's like six, seven, seven foot wingspan. Like he can just get to places where a lot of wings probably can't in terms of rebounding the ball. Um, And then on the defensive end, like I just think he's going to help this team tremendously because of the core four players, Jaden Ivey, Kate Cunningham, Jalen Duran, and I throw Asar in there. Asar is the guy that stands out to me like, who I think will have the most defensive impact next season as a rookie in terms of just on ball and even off ball. Like, look, he's going to be a rookie. He's going to have like lapses and that kind of thing, but just the ability to disrupt. Like I think he averaged a few blocks and two steals um, at summer league in four games. And like, I just think that's invaluable as well. Um, And his shooting and scoring in the half court is where that's going to make or break I guess, how far and like how good of a player he can be. I have lots of concerns with the shooting. Like if I'm being completely honest, take my Pistons fan hat off. Like that's the area where I was like, I'm concerned. But from all reports and like even just being around him in the post game and that sort of thing, like I don't want to look too much in it, but he's like a, he works. Like the Thompson twins have a, like talking to some draft people, like those kids are like in the gym all day, every day. That's all they did at Overtime Elite. <laughs> it's like hoop. That's why they went there. Um, so like I know the work ethic's going to be there. He's a, yeah, seems like a real mild, like doesn't get too ahead of himself kind of guy. So like I think it, if it doesn't work out, it won't be from like a lack of trying or attitude kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, as a connector and defensive prospect, like he's, uh, yeah, I, he's, I'm trying to say he blew me away at summer league from that standpoint, just like, and I know it's summer league, um, but that was really good to see. He, he really impressed me as a defender because there's a couple different types. There's like, you can overwhelm people by being like an an on-ball defender who's very sticky and you can probe and try and like jump dribbles and stuff like that. And he could do that, especially on a switch. Like you step up on a guy, you just explode some pick and roll actions. That was cool. But he's also a talented enough, blessed enough athlete that he can be a mirror. That's where you give like those really talented guys, those really talented drivers. If he were playing Ivy, for example, like you give that buffer and you just match each movement. You make sure like you're not getting beat to a spot. And there's not a lot of defenders who are able to do that at his size. You know, there's a lot of like really quick guards that can jump into spots and like they can mirror into space, but it's like the guys are going to end up getting downhill anyway because of that strength deficit. Asar is big 
like very big to be doing that type of defense. And I think offensively, I don't know about the three-point shot, really. I don't know if it ever comes around to the level that people want it to. Uh, it'll come around to some degree. But I think the finishing is, if he finishes the ball well, he'll be on basketball courts for a re- like NBA courts for a really long time. Just getting comfortable using his size at the NBA level on that end of the floor, the same way he's kind of comfortable in the tighter spaces defensively, that'll be a, a super big deal for him, I reckon. But he's really impressive player. And I love I love how he compliments um Cade especially because Jaden you 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 could like Sadiq Bay could succeed next to Jaden. Like if the ball comes out to him like it's a good game, it's a bad game, who knows, but the shots are going up. Um Asar is a guy who's kind of like trying to, you know, cut and fill on offense yeah. next to Cade. Yeah. I think there's Cade will really help kind of lift up the his offensive floor, I suppose. For sure. And the last thing I say is like I feel like he's coming in at the like if he had have been the Pistons, like if he was in Cage draft and the Pistons took him and the Pistons didn't have, I guess, their guards set and there was probably more pressure on him coming in to be a scorer. Um, just from like the fan base point of view, like I think mm-hmm. he's coming in a nice time where he can blend in with yep. Jaden, with Cade and Jalen Duran to an extent and just sort of fill the gaps on offense. Even if the shot's not there, like you just mentioned it, like off ball, he has great feel as a cutter. Um, he'll, he'll generate points for himself off offensive rebounds. Um, and then in transition, like transition offense has been an issue for the Pistons. Like even with players like Jaden Ivey, um, it's just been a sore point watching these guys want a fast break. So to have a guy come in who I've, I would already say he might be the Pistons' best transition player, um, sure. that that will help as well for sure. Just the, the passing reads he makes and then the finishing ability as well. Um, yeah, just adds a, another dynamic threat. He's one of those players who like – it was interesting Markel and Lonzo I think were the like the watershed moment for these guys are such vaunted prospects but the way they and obviously Lonzo and Markel have both had just horrific injury problems that affected their careers but you look at what they were able to succeed at and they were these vaunted prospects who come into the NBA and immediately it's like oh their defense is what stands out from the guard position and like their ability to see the floor off ball make like these really interesting passes really interesting reads and they're really gritty players and that was not those were not the defining features of like lottery guards and they both had you know significant offensive upside that got taken away by the injuries but the fact that they were still able to hang around the game and still to this day hang around the game because they both see it so well and they there's like that lack of or the they have a bunch of humility in the way that they approach it as basketball players just trying to find impact and Asar strikes me similarly I would say yeah no, that's an excellent point and that definitely wasn't the case like it's all I prior to those guys like particularly Alonzo like I feel like part of me like the ship sailed on Killian I'm not sure if we're going to talk about him but part of me wanted to believe he could become that type of player and maybe he still does somewhere else, but that mold of guard definitely was not sort of <laughs> as sought after prior or pre that that twenty seventeen yeah. draft. Killian, man, we'll see. I want it. I want it to turn around 
I love when guys like dedicate to the defensive end and he's especially because that isn't what anyone thought for Killian. Like he was supposed to be this slick shot making pick and roll lead guard and none of that has turned out. It's just the shooting man. And like the the athleticism is just, he has, he has, he does a really good job in putting his athleticism on the defensive end of the floor, but he has a lot of trouble doing it on the offensive end. And you can't always explain why that's the case, but the shooting is the easiest reason for why things haven't really gone well. But yeah, I, I quite like Killian, but yeah, you're, you're correct in that. Like who knows if it's with the Pistons, you you just have to hope it's somewhere else. Maybe, um, I guess, is there anybody else that you, if, you know, you're speaking to Raptors fans, mostly probably some Detroit fans who clicked on this to hear you talk about them, but uh, who else would you kind of want to talk about on the Pistons before we get out of here a little bit? And we'll talk a little bit about Grady Dick as well. For sure. Like I got into it a little bit when we're talking about the Raptors roster at the start, Um, bringing in Monte Morris, I think is going to be huge for this team. Just be, just to have that guard who obviously can run an offense hyper-efficient as a scorer and then just extremely low turnover rate. I think he's going to complement Cade and Jade and Ivory extremely well. So I think that was a massive move. The Joe Harris move is a bit of a sin-eating move, but um, I still like bringing in a veteran shooter because as we've sort of touched on this podcast, like shooting's just a premium. Like you need it. You need it for like even the Pistons' young core, like they need to be surrounded with shooters. Joe Harris has his defensive issues, um, but to have like – three to four veterans with Boyan Bogdanovich and Alec Burks also in there that can all shoot at a very decent clip. Some of them are elite shooters. That That's part of what has me sort of optimistic for some sort of leap um, because I still think you could be hindered a little bit with featuring like all your main ball handlers or a lot of your starting lines can be first, second, third year guys still, which I don't think, even though I think they've got high ceilings, I still think, that could have a lot of growing pains. Um, so just to have those veterans, I think is huge. And um, Pistons fans shouldn't underestimate those moves. He also has, I think, the best nickname in basketball, the Count of Monte Assisto. You know, Count of I Monte Assisto. Really? <laughs> I oh, that, man. Because he that. was like the king of the assist to turnover ratio. And yeah. so, yeah, that's that's where I came from. But also, just I think... on that, I'll just say, like, he's, he had a career-high turnovers last season. I'm pretty sure it was 1.1. it's insane um but also like kind of on that note is that he if one of Wiseman or Bagley hits if Duran wants to be a guy who you can throw the ball into and run like split action off of and cut off of into the post I think Morris is a guy who has that organizational wisdom coming from and playing off of Nikola Jokic that I'm Maybe I'm stepping too far in suggesting this, but it seems easy to think that not only because of his play style, which will obviously be there, but some tips that he'll be able to provide for the, you know, there's a glut of Detroit bigs. And these are guys who some of them have to have some on like, yes, you Duran is going to be a guy who's catching lobs, of course, but also like if you want to be able to toss the ball into him, he's going to have more success running those actions with Monty Morris than he is probably with Kate or Jaden. And because Monty knows how to shape up to that and play off of it, you know, he's not going to be Jokic, obviously, and there will be different reads, but just as showing himself as a viable player off of those like post actions, I think is awesome. And then, yeah, he can just help lift. He will help simplify and bring to light the better attributes of Detroit's um, bench bigs. And you like, you need stuff like that. 
God, do you ever need stuff like that? Excellent point with the sort of bringing up the Jokic link there with Monte because that was one of the sort of um, highlights of the season was just seeing Jalen Durant's passing unlocked as the season progressed. Um, I don't think he's ever going to be a guy that averages four or five assists, but the fact that he can just make some short roll reads, he can make passes out of the post or up on the elbow, hit cutters, like Monte Morris has done that exact same thing with Jokic. So I think he can help further unlock that part of Jalen's game, which, um, yeah, just great thing to raise. Yeah. Great pick up um, for yourself. Grady Dick, curious what you think about him. Did you watch anything prior to, like, were you thinking, I don't know, maybe he ends up on the Pistons? Was that ever a consideration yeah, I, for you? I, I, so I'm not a draft person, but from the pre-draft stuff I did, I really liked Grady Dick's game. Like, I think there's a lot there offensively. Obviously, the shooting, the ability to shoot coming off screens and that kind of thing, like, I think he's got a high release. Is he is he six eight, six nine? Like he's big. Yeah, six eight, six nine. Big and guy. And like I think I think he has decent like athleticism and like I can't remember his finishing numbers, but I feel like he's also like a heady player, like we talked about with the Sar Thompson in terms of cutting and just sort of making things happen off ball. Um obviously there's gonna be times where he's just in the corner as a shooter, but I think there's parts to his game where he can do a bit off the bounce, um, attack closeouts. This this is just as a rookie I'm speaking. Um, as a shooting like forward, I'm sure he's going to go through parts of the season where the shot might not be there. But um, offensively, like I think he can be a real weapon. Like mm-hmm. I'm not sure in like this grand scheme of things, like where he is on a championship roster or that kind of thing. But um, yeah, I, if the Pistons had to trade it back into the lottery, like he was a guy. I thought would have fit real nicely on the Pistons. And he just does a lot of complimentary things like shooting. It's like, yeah. Great cutter too. You can't, exactly. So um, I'll be honest, I didn't catch a lot of him at Summer League. Um, but yeah, he was a guy definitely pre-draft I was impressed with. And then the defensive end, can he sort of, like I think he showed some stuff defensively. Like, and it's not, like I think he's got the tools to be like, get to a point like to be like league average and that kind of thing. So I'd be interested to hear your takes sort of like where you see him on the defensive end and, and offensively. Regarding defense, I think he reads the floor really well and he's got slow feet. Like there's just, there's no getting around it. He's got slow feet there. We even saw it with like Austin Reeves in the FIBA world cup, right? And Austin doesn't necessarily have slow feet, but even in the FIBA game, and especially in the NBA game, guys are going to target you. Like you're going to be 25 feet away from the rim and they're going to call a screen and it's like bring you into the action. That's going to happen to Grady almost certainly. And he's going to have to find ways to navigate screens and he's going to have to find ways to kind of play to his athleticism or lack of foot speed defensively and try and get guys to, instead of getting the seven or the six or seven foot shot, you make guys hit you know, 11 or 12 foot shots. And that's not a stop necessarily, but it's just kind of as a limited defender, you have to work on what you allow. That'll be a big thing for Grady. But off ball, the size really helps. I think he reads the floor tremendously well. He makes a lot of really good reads as far as like a help side guy. I think he could be like a well above average nailed defender um, a couple years into his career. Um, Just because he makes such great reads. He seems really tuned in and he shapes to the ball well defensively and to the defense offensively um really 
solid empty side passer. So in those pin down situations or empty side pick and roll situations, um, the little pocket pass or like over the head pass to the big man, provided that they're rim running, that's something he can do and that's something he'll have opportunities to do with his shooting. Um, There's some versioning ball handling stuff that it's not so bad, but it's hard to project it at the NBA level. And then he's a really great cutter really heady um the same way on the defensive end shaping to the ball some guys really know how to do it like they read the floor really well he's uh he's part of that for sure and rebounding i think maybe not the first season but i think he'll eventually be like a plus rebounder at the wing position so a bunch of good things and i didn't talk about his shooting um ideally he becomes one of the best shooters in the nba i think people consider that as a possibility um it's the high end of things, obviously. Um, but as far as the floor, just like a, a damn good shooter, which is not a bad thing to be at all. So uh, I was really pleased to see that he fell to 13. I think he fell into the Raptors' lap. I think it was such an obvious pick to make. And uh, I'm excited for it. I think I, I quite like Grady. And also talking to him, uh, he's a very enjoyable young man. I've had yeah, a couple of nice conversations with him. So. Yeah, he seems quite charismatic as well, like a nice yeah. guy. Um, I, I was just going to say, how do you see like him with Scotty Barnes? Like, really I think good. there's guys there, the shooting. Like, I think they're a nice match, but I just would still like to yeah, hear your thoughts. Yeah, big time. Uh, when we think about that run of play that Scotty last season was maybe his most notable run of play was before they traded for Jakob and when Scotty was playing against a lot of heavy dropped defenses, kind of what you saw teams play against Ben Simmons. That was a bit of a meme. Scotty, um, I think, much better at at inputting himself than Ben Simmons is. He's a more aggressive player overall. He's not as timid in looking for a shot. Mind you, Ben is a much better on-ball defender. You know, good players are good players, et cetera. But Scotty did a great job of working himself into playmaking opportunities, a lot of them off of these, you know, crab dribbling dribble handoff sets in the middle of the floor, just looking to use his body and his passing ability to a guy who can back cut off of it or just creating space for that guy as a screener. And while that's simple basketball, the Sacramento Kings showed just how effective it can be if you have elite players at it. And with Demonis Sabonis and a mixture of like Fox and Herder and Monk, obviously, maybe the most prolific of all, And I think that there's a lot of potential for the Raptors to just, even if the offense as a whole isn't humming necessarily, those little two-man actions with Barnes and Grady, I think have a bunch of potential as early as this season. And then into the future, I think they should be like a really dynamic pair working off of each other. Very excited for that in particular. I'm glad you asked about it. How How about you? You think it'll be good? Yeah, well, if I just look at it on paper and their skill set sort of as you lay out, like I think it's a, yeah, a pretty good match. And it's like, what do you surround them with? Because I think at the moment it's probably not ideal as if you sort of spoke about like Jakob as a player in a vacuum and a center, like he's a, he's like, he can do things on offense. He's solid defensively. He's actually very good defensively, I should say. But how does he fit with them? And then also, it's just about surrounding them and then also at the same time ensuring that yeah, they can get to a level where surrounding them with more talent makes sense. If yeah. if that if you know Yeah, of course. It's you want a nucleus has to emerge. 
And, you know, some some teams, they need players to show more to be considered part of that nucleus. Some teams don't need much at all. Like some teams, it's like you can have possessions because we're giving out possessions. And the Raptors are not a team that gives them out lightly. Um, but I'm, I'm excited to see if Scotty and Grady over the course of the season can continue to demand more. That's always the most exciting is not when a player gets a bunch at the start and then you're like, okay, I guess we'll see. It's when they slowly accumulate over the course of their rookie season. That they get ahead of steam, I suppose. That's kind of what happened with Cade in that, in that first year as well, um, just being sure. able to read the floor. Uh, any parting shots before we get out of here, Jack? Well, the last thing I just wanted to ask is like Scotty Barnes, I think as like when you look at the tools and I think he showed flashes as a rookie on the defensive end as sort of this like do it all kind of wing slash four man, which I guess is still a wing actually. But where are you at with him defensively? Because I feel like last season that was probably a sore point for him in terms of. I think you would have saw him earlier more just because of the way that the season kind of shook yeah. out. There was some, he had ankle problems on the early part of the season. He bounced back pretty strongly, but I've never, I talked to a bunch of scouts right after he got drafted, what they thought. And right after he got drafted, he was promoted as like the one through five defender. Every scout I talked to said that's like, that's just not the case. His on ball defense was not something that, any of the scouts I talked to were saying is going to be a massive part of his game early on. Like he can step out. Of course he can, and he can have good possessions, but on the whole, he's a lot of guys are getting a step past him and blowing by him. I think he has immense potential as a roamer. Um, I, I think as a guy who, you know, in a split second can jump a passing lane, can have his presence known so that, you add four degrees of arc on a pass and then the whole defense gets to catch up because it's a longer, loopier pass to the corner or to the lob man or something like that because the length creates that different arc. Um, That's one of the biggest benefits of length on defense is just you add arc to passes. Guys aren't making pinpoint bouncing around the four passes. And yeah, as a roamer in a pinch, being a guy who can jump over and be you know, a help side rim protector, a guy who can step out if he's involved in a screening action, can blitz. And then, of course, you know, some of these late clock defensive possessions, if it's late clock, that aggressiveness on ball is going to be better. And it's not as harmful um, because there's not, you know, clock to play with. If, you know, you get beat and then there's, let's say it's Jaden Ivey who beats him, there's a kick to the corner because everybody moves over. If that's late clock, you know, you're forcing guys in the corner to take, you know, a shot with two seconds instead of eight. Yeah. Um, all that stuff, I think it should benefit Scotty if he plays more off ball and isn't involved directly in the actions all the time. Um, because his length and his read of the floor defensively is good. And that typically is most helpful off ball, where I think he can be really strong. And he helps out on the glass too. All that stuff is, those are all the positives with small negative. And a lot of people don't even agree with that negative. So people yeah. disagree with me on that. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt, I suppose. Hey, I don't think I know anyone else who watches more Raptors games or covers the Raptors in depth as you. So I'll take everything you say. <laughs> um, the, the, my last question, I've been asking so many questions, but I just, I like 
I feel like we're getting more out of the podcast, getting your Raptors thoughts and maybe mine. So what are your, like, what would you consider a pass mark for this season? I know we've still got training camp. We're, we're still in mm. September, but like, or I guess your general expectations. I have no expectations for the win loss record, like none. Um, because I think it's so up in the air. The Raptors are a really big swing team. I think it could go very poorly. They could end up trading guys and, you know, they could really bottom out. I think that considering they have such a high defensive ceiling and could get out and transition a decent amount of time to really help, you know, keep their offensive float, they, if they were over 500, I would be mildly surprised, but I'd be like, okay. And I'd be, and I'd probably love covering that team because they'd be really scrappy and they'd find a way to win and stuff like that. But mostly what I'm looking for is how Darko Rajkovic is able to get easy looks with the design of the offense. And also, this is OG Ananobi, probably his last year that any team is going to let him try, you know, on ball creation. Because he's going to get some of it this season, for sure. But if he doesn't this year, you know, maybe he gets it signing a new contract elsewhere. Maybe he signs back with the Raptors. I don't know. But it's he's kind of plateaued. This is one of the last chances to try and make that leap again. And so I'll be paying attention to that if they give him any possessions for it at all. And then just Scotty. Scotty is a guy who, the way he initiates offense is odd already because he he does it through bully drives and he does it in transition and he doesn't succeed in the traditional stuff as a ball handler. It's typically the most traditional thing for Scotty is as a dribble handoff big, which is not a lot of people say point guard Scotty. Nobody calls Demonis Sabonis a point guard. They call him a great playmaker, but nobody calls Demonis a point guard. Um, this is where Scotty's going to have an opportunity to stretch his legs as a point guard. I'm not super optimistic about it, that specific part of his game. But if he does make that step, that's what makes this like a huge win this season. If Scotty figures out playmaking enough on ball that you can actually say you can play him at the one, that's a big, big win for the Raptors. And then even if he doesn't, that's also a win in that you know more about him going into year four. But that's I, that's a boring answer. It's not very takey. But yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. How about you? What for the Pistons? What what makes it a, a winning a passing grade season for you? Playoffs, yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, like I'm actually not like win loss isn't huge for me. I, I like I've got them winning around 29 to 30 games. I think if they win around 20, that's not more, playoffs. No, but like I, I it's it's a developmental season again for me. I just want to see K Jalen Ivy. Jalen Durant and Osar Thompson, how do they mesh together? Can they just want to see them play 60 games together? Because we still, like, as Pistons fans, like, we love the idea of these four players, but we still haven't even, like, Kate and Jalen Durant played, like, 40 minutes. And I have no doubt from seeing their offseason stuff, like, they're going to, their pick and roll is going to be pretty, like, pretty lethal in a sense. Um, I'd like to think Jaden Ivey's going to compliment Cade really well, but we just, we actually have not seen it. They've barely played together. So for me, it's just getting those core four guys as much like sort of run together as possible and seeing sort of what we have. And then next off season is maybe there's a trade really building from that to make that playoff push. Um, 
But hey, if they're a year ahead of schedule in my books, like obviously I'd be wrapped. Still yet to see a playoff win for the Pistons in 12 years or whatever. So yeah, it's been lean. <laughs> that's that's a healthy approach. I would, man, if they're in the hunt at the end, like let's say they get that 60 games together and the 60 games go really well, they might be in it. Like They might be yeah. in it. Maybe maybe they'll end up in it, but they'll they'll be in it towards the end. I would love that. Um, for sure it, it's hard because it's like to in order to actually make the plane like you've got to leap over teams i know that sounds really simple but like i feel like sometimes with the pistons fan base like yeah they're gonna win 40 games there's 40 games are gonna be the ninth eight seven seed. it's like who's dropping down like who yeah. who's dropping down so like even even yeah. in a really what was considered like a tumultuous hellacious season for the raptors you know they still went north of 40 exactly you know, like, yeah. and the pistons been a long time since they've been in that realm i guess that's why you know the jumps the jumps are usually incremental steps not that many teams do like the big big jump but and yeah last thing like they won 17 games last year like i did a study of the whole lottery like how the worst team has performed the following season since 1984 the average win increase is like eight wins so that puts them at 25 26 wins only two teams have made the playoffs so um um, one was the 16, 17 bucks. So that was when like Giannis mm. took a Oh, league. that was after Middleton. the Jason Kidd debacle. I think, I think so. Um, and the other team was the Miami team. Um, that It was the season following Dwayne Wade. I think it was like 07 or 08 or 08 or 09 after D Wade was out for the whole season from the injury. Oh, yeah. So like that's why they were so bad when they got Michael Beasley in that draft. Not that he turned out, but those were the two teams. No one else had ever made the playoffs. So <laughs> It's like, yes, Cade was out, but like every team, if I went through it, I'm sure has had injuries that meant they finished with the worst record in the league. So yeah. I'm going to probably back 30, 35 years of history or whatever it is, um, just looking at the numbers. And that's why I'm around 28, 29 wins, I think would be huge, like 12 win jumps, massive. Yeah. So a little more, it's a statistical analysis, you know, you yeah. have to because it's easy to look at guys the 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 depth of talent in the NBA is so deep right now that like how do you not look at Jaden Ivey and Cade Cunningham and say wow they might do it like these are two really yeah. cool players who have great careers ahead of them but then it's like you look at every team and every team has cool guys you know yeah exactly yeah all right Jack anything you want to say to the listeners before we get out of here no, thanks for having me on as always, man. Always love talking hoops with you. feel like I learned some stuff, so it's always a pleasure. Um, and, yeah, for any Pistons fans listening or general NBA fans or Raptors fans, if you need some Pistons content injected to your Twitter timeline, follow me at Jack underscore Kelly underscore 313. And, yeah, I'm doing some work with the NBL, so there might be some stuff coming out there if some really interesting next stars. Um, potential draft prospects who are playing in the league this year. So um, expect maybe some draft stuff from me as well. Yeah, I, I will co-sign that as well. If anybody wants, you know, a comprehensive idea of what the, the Pistons are doing this upcoming season and you don't want to leave Twitter um, or you just want to click links that you get through Twitter, um, Jack's account will provide God basically everything you need i'm almost certain of it and then yeah as, as he mentioned like maybe some some australian basketball get in there and um i know a lot of people don't watch that just to watch australian basketball they typically on this side of the 
ocean. They watch it because there's prospects. But you know, basketball is getting better and better across the world. You might uh, you might find a nice gritty team because the, the ball is a little bit more physical down there. You might find a nice gritty <laughs> team to watch. If if anybody recently watched the World Cup and liked the the added physicality, um, the boys they play they play pretty tough down there. So something to keep an eye on, Jack. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute blast. Listener, thank you for tuning in. And I guess uh, look forward to more of these. There's probably, I don't know, 20 or 25 more coming. So, all right, everybody. We'll see you.